This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. I think in time, health systems, as much as payers, because payers are advanced here, are also going to be acquirers of some of these partners in time as they start seeing more and more value out of them. And they start seeing things that they could do not just in their geographic footprint and the zip codes that they produce today, but also a national footprint. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran. As health systems face an unprecedented slowdown in capital planning, a really uncertain financial future, private equity and venture capital are still looking for, and our guest today will prove finding opportunities in healthcare. So I asked Keith Figlioli, who's a managing partner at LRV Health, an SG2 member, to share his thoughts on where LRV and others see opportunities for investment today and where he sees both private equity and venture capital, and for those of us not in that world, explaining the difference between the two, going next in healthcare. So Keith, thanks so much for joining. Keith also hosts a great podcast, one of the very few healthcare podcasts that I listen to called Healthcare is Hard. He gets outstanding guests, and so I really recommend folks tune into that as well. Keith, I'll give the floor to you now. Can you give us a little background on yourself, who LRV is, the different kind of funding cycles you've gone through, where you focus in healthcare. Sure. Trevor, first, thanks for having me on and, and thanks for the kind words about our podcast. I also listen to the SG2 one a lot. Let's start a little bit myself. I've been in the healthcare space and predominantly with healthcare providers for over 20 years. And I've had the advantage to sit with a lot of C-suites for many years through many transformation cycles. So I've been saying this a lot lately to people. When you start thinking about transformation, not just innovation and that word that's overused so much, but like transformation of industries. And you think about healthcare from what happened early days when I got into it, which is on the technology side around meaningful use. And then after that, what happened with ACA, what happened with the ACO regs and value-based care regs, and about more modern day things like digital transformation and some of the disruptors coming to the market, you start thinking about this problem very differently. When the world I sit in, that's the lens by which we look at it, more so than even just we're venture capital people. LRV has got this unique position that we're a strategic healthcare venture capital platform. And what that really means is that we only partner with incumbent players so large healthcare systems and large healthcare payers to think through these transformational cycles. What do you do with capital in the world that we live in, which is venture capital, which we can delineate between venture capital and private equity? What do we do with that to advance the transformation of these various incumbent players from the inside out? So many people are trying to disrupt them from the outside in. We're really sitting at the inside with them trying to figure out what the market is telling them and where can they deploy some capital to run a handful of experiments and in time even change some of their operations with some of that capital. And the differences between venture capital and private equity, you know, venture capital is really, if you just look at the capital stages, you could start with seed stage, series A, series B, series C. It usually ends at series C. And it's really people are thinking about net new innovations and really thinking about top line growth. How can we find fast-growing revenue businesses that help drive change in the industry if we're looking just at healthcare. And private equity really is about optimizing EBITDA, really optimizing profits. How can you take assets that might not be optimizing some of the ways they operate? And how can you come up with an alpha to think about driving more profitability? They're very different animals and they're played very differently in healthcare. We sit firmly in that venture capital side of the equation. Super helpful. Thanks. So I get to spend some time with healthcare leadership teams and boards, and they're struggling more than ever to balance transformation and optimizing regular operations. 
you spend a lot of time with these audiences too, but I'm guessing you're having slightly different discussions. What are you hearing? Where are they focused? How are they trying to balance their time between those two worlds right now? Because of where we sit more on the transformation and the innovation side, we have seen more energy in discussions with our firm and our network of 28 different partners, more so in the last 18 months than we've seen ever in the history of the fund. What that tells me, and I think that what tells us, is that all the leaders, at least on the health system side and on the payer side for that matter, understand they have to keep a foot both boats. We just experienced the worst year in the history of, I think, us tracking health system finances on the healthcare provider side. And people know they got to rate that ship and they got to get back to the basics, but people also know they can't stand still and they have to change because if you look out into the marketplace and all the things that happen and all the acceleration that took place, especially on the digitization and the overall patient experience expectations during COVID, that has changed the landscape dramatically. For our podcast, which I'll give everybody a little a preview, we interviewed Rasu at Advocate Health, formerly Atrium, today talking exactly about this point. And he was all in on this, which is, it's not just about them building a, one of you know, the largest health systems in the country now, I think top five with Atrium and Advocate coming together, but it's like, how do you innovate in and how do you constantly innovate in that? The transformation cycle that we're going to be in and have been in is at least another decade, if not another two decades. We have a system that a lot of people think should be happening, but doesn't happen every day. Is more and more energy goes into differentiated patient experience, differentiated consumer preferences, differentiated sites of care. That transformation takes a long time, but we're incrementally seeing that every single day. I've seen a few leading health systems take on partnerships now that probably aren't going to cause really quick near-term changes in their revenue mix or patients. And that's surprising because so many are looking for partnerships that are going to be a quick fix. Are you seeing a change in that approach to how health systems are thinking about partners to help them, whether it's gain a new competency, learn, or accelerate their transformation? We're seeing more here and now because of some of the urgency on the financials. So I think your point's a good one, which is we're seeing a little bit of both, but I'm hearing a lot more of like what can impact me in the short and midterm. It's one thing for a health system to deploy some capital, get on a cap table and use a company that may have some asset accretion over time, but doesn't have much bottom line impact. I think we're starting to see leaders think more about if we partner with somebody, say in the service line, we happen to have an investment in a company in women's health. If I do something in my women's health and my OB-GYN service line, can I get impact today? So can I change the way I think about recruiting OB-GYNs? Do I have to recruit them? Does that partner potentially take them on their P&L, not my P&L? While I still maintain some level of brand affinity in that market, there's a lot of Rubik's Cube thoughts that have to go into that. But I think your point is right, which we're starting to see more and more that people want impact today. And then if they invest through us or directly, do they get long-term asset accretion too on that? And then what happens over the long term? I mean, HCA has been doing this for years. HCA is one of the best as a for-profit that goes and invests in a bunch of different companies, puts them into deployment in various parts. And then a lot of times they end up buying them, which I think is the other misnomer here, which I think in time, health systems, as much as payers, because payers are advanced here, are also going to be acquirers of some of these partners in time as they start seeing more and more value out of them. And they start seeing things that they could do not just in their geographic footprint and the zip codes that they produce today, but also a national. Almost becomes a little small diversification play, getting outside of their geographic boundaries. I want to pull on the specialty thread a little more. Maybe it's just because I spend a lot of time talking about primary care with our members. So that's where my conversations end up going. I want to talk more about specialty. You talked about women's a little. Talk about some other areas where you're seeing health systems chase some new partnerships, trying to realize short-term growth. 
your point about primary care, you should start with from a pattern recognition. So what did we see in primary care? Many, many years, many, many health systems went and bought a bunch of primary care docs thinking that that would tie into their network better. Most of them didn't operate them well. Most of them also did not ever make them profitable. What happened, the capital markets came in and started creating entities that took advantage of digital trends, that took advantage of MA, Medicare Advantage trends. And so you started seeing these crop of primary care players like a One Medical, like an Iora back in the day, like an Oak Street. And then what happened? They got a lot of capital. Some of them went public. Some of them had as much capital access as the health systems had. And then they ended up getting acquired in various shapes and forms, some to Amazon, some to CVS. And all of a sudden, you got a bunch of platform players around the health system now in the community, and people have to figure that out. We believe, to your point especially, that same exact pattern recognition, that same exact set of patterns is happening right now. And so back to the split between private equity and venture capital, private equity has been doing a lot of roll-ups in specialty for years, if not decades, but not much innovation. It's really just about, can I optimize and make them more profitable? And then can I sell them in five to seven years to get a profit on the next set of turns two or three times my money? What's changed now in specialty is that venture capital is getting involved, similar to what they got involved in primary care. And they're trying to put different innovative models to play. And most of that has to do with the clinical enterprise. The hardest things for most health system leaders to do in their organization is to change their clinical enterprise. So if you take a service line function, something like the investment we have in a company called Diana Health and Women's Health, and some health systems have done this, but most haven't, that introduces a midwifery, a midwife clinical approach, a hub and spoke model where the doc is still there, but the doc is there now on a five to a seven to one basis on midwives to take over that potential clinical service line. Same thing can be said about primary care. It's happened. Same thing can be said about cardiology. We're starting to see this in oncology as well. We have an extender model in oncology that's starting to think about this. And then also to sites of care. The health systems haven't been good about delivering care in alternative sites most days. And so when you start thinking about the home or other true outpatient potential. You're going to see more and more of that and more and more innovations. But I would really be paying attention to the clinical models because that's also where the cost and the margin gets improved, where you're not relying just solely on an MD-focused lead model. Do you talk about these with health system leaders as capital light investment opportunities where they can find growth because they're so precise and targeted? All the stuff that I'm talking about, we talk about with pretty much every C-suite we work with. And the way we think about it is, how are most health systems organized today? Obviously, they're organized by hospitals and outpatient and ambulatory, but they're really organized by service line. And if you really start thinking about the service lines, what are most health systems really good at in service lines? They're really good at complicated cases and even some high margin cases like hip and knees that we do all day long aren't that complicated. You know, we just kind of punch them out across the country and we're really good at it. What they're not good at is thinking about all the pre and post high acuity episodes in alternative sites and alternative delivery mechanisms back to the clinical model. And there's tons of revenue capture there to be thought about. We just spent eight months working with our network in neurology and thinking about the neurology service line. And so many people show up in the ED and so many people show up to go see a neurologist when they're chronic migraine sufferers. Now, there's companies out there today that are starting to think about this and saying, hey, is there a different model that potentially could hook into a health system but take the relief burden off of already a taxed neurology set of clinicians or neurologists on down acuity state? Now, some of those might rise up to a high acuity and you want to capture that. 
But there's all sorts of form factors that people need to start thinking about today with digital means, with all the things that have come to bay, RPM, uh, remote patient monitoring, a lot of different mechanisms today that have to be adopted. And to your point in the beginning of this about sort of the partner mentality and a different way to think about it, because a lot of these health systems want to do these things. I'm not so sure they have the ability or the people inside to be able to do these things. So that's why I think you lean to that partner mentality. I'll give you a chance to humble brag a little bit. Tell us about some of your existing investments that have been successful or those that you think are looking especially promising right now. Everything's early you know, because we're a little bit earlier stage. We have some companies that have gotten a lot bigger. If you step back, we've had this whole thought pattern, which many have had, about where are we moving towards? Well, we're moving towards this idea of reimagining what a provider is, reimagining what a payer is, and reimagining the combination of those two things. And the moniker on that is really care everywhere. How do you get into a mindset at a C-suite of a health system organization saying, how do you think about the fact that care will be delivered on every corner of the communities that you're in at different levels of acuity and who will be delivering that? And part of that is also then getting into not only what we've seen with COVID, but I think before COVID, which is clinical scarcity. So what are all the different clinical resources you have to have to deliver certain levels of care? And we believe that's a huge investment thesis. So the companies that we've invested in, we've invested in a company called IntelliCare many years ago, which now has over 50,000 RNs, CNAs, and LPNs in its network. And they're all W2'd. And so they're not a 1099 model. It's not like they're free flying. These people have allegiance to IntelliCare's brand. And that's a really powerful model. Most of that work today because of the resource classes there are in post-acute, but that's an acute model as well that can be taken a hold. We have another business in primary care, value-based care called Greater Good Health that has a nurse practitioner-led model. And they're all W2'd as well. So we just think about those types of plays in a different way that also becomes advantageous to our health system partners because they can take advantage of those in different ways. You can tell me where we are on the cycle of investment in behavioral health. It seems like that's kind of the bright, shiny object that's on everyone's radar. What might be one of the next ones? What's a specialty you guys are really paying close attention to today? I think oncology. Oncology is in the early stages of a massive disruption over the better part of the next decade. And what I mean by that is there's been a good amount of venture capital put into, call it five to seven different companies. We have a company called Reimagine Care, which is oncology at home. Is the next step of going from fee-for-service to potentially bundles to potentially some form of value sits within the equation. There's all sorts of opportunities to potentially change the way we deliver cancer care. I also think if you really think about some ways that we deliver cancer care today, so let's just take a chemo protocol, there's no reason why once a patient is stable in the early parts of chemo, they can't have that delivered at home. There's all sorts of issues with that for the health systems, where how they get paid for the drugs, how they get paid for delivery of care, alternative site payment, things like that. But is if we keep moving on site neutrality payment schemas, and we have some level of drug intervention in terms of pricing and costs, and then who knows what happens with 340B. All those things in the mix over the next decade, and you think about oncology and the actual patient experience of oncology. Every single person you ever talk to has an experience, either personally or in their family, of how, and I mean this respectfully, but how bad the patient experience is in oncology. When you start putting that all together with digital mechanisms, home mechanisms, alternative site mechanisms. There's all sorts of companies now that have come out to start thinking about this very different. It's for early days. All these companies are very small. But I do think when you talk to a lot of healthcare administrators and a lot of heads of oncology service lines and centers of excellence, they all see this. I had a chat last week with somebody who's the chief administrative officer of a big system out west. And they were like, it's not if, it's when. And so I get pretty excited by this one, as you can tell. And I think it's a, an area that is important. 
not only is there tons of innovation happening on the drug side of the equation, but I think there needs to be a ton of innovation happening on the care delivery side. And with so many employers that are self-insured and scared of cancer diagnoses as wild cards, it's a space where all of a sudden the big local health systems get disintermediated if there's alternatives, right? And if there's third-party vendors going to employers and saying, we can change this value equation, we can change the patient's care journey, we can make their experience better, we can get them back to work faster, et cetera. So that's scary for health systems. There's never not going to be a place for a health system given the acuity nature of cancer, but all the end arounds of that journey, they can get just like Optum's trying to squeeze them into a box on high acuity. This is a perfect example where you get so squeezed into a box into high acuity and then everything else gets elsewhere. You have some really fun guests on your podcast. What's something maybe surprising you heard or someone thought about it just different enough that it stuck with you? What's a recent quote you really liked? One that I liked was from your recent episode with the leader of MedPAC, but it's something you said, kind of that first wave of primary care innovators, like they are going to get disrupted by someone that does what they do better than them because they've done some things well like recruit docs and raise money, they've had problems scaling and profitability. So that one really stuck with me. What's one that stuck with you? That's a great question. <laughs> There's a lot. And it's tough to kind of replay it. So I'll just go to like today because I was talking to Rasu. He says a lot of things and I've known him for a number of years and he speaks a lot on stages and things like that. He was talking a lot about this trifecta mentality today, which I probably won't get right. So I'll have to force people to listen to it, to hear it right, which will come out next month. But he was talking about this idea of how are we really fundamentally changing patient experience? And then how within patient experience are we fundamentally changing personalization? And then third, how are we fundamentally changing in essence, with site of care. And everybody says those things kind of individually, but the way he put it together made me think about that's similar to our thought about care everywhere, but it's different. What are the set of tactics you're going to have to do as a health system to get the intersection of those three right? And the punchline is without losing the reimbursement issues, meaning it's such a difficult leap from where we are now. I just sat back and I was thinking about what he said, and none of it was like, shockingly provocative each statement, but the combination of those statements plus the punchline he put on it about where they have to put a foot in each boat, I thought was really telling. It's exactly what his job is. He's the chief innovation and commercialization officer at Advocate Health now, and he's thinking about that every single day. I thought that was interesting in terms of the combination. Like It wasn't a new thought. It was just a combination of a bunch of thoughts that are out there. It's a good one. I look forward to hearing it. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. You have helped me think a little differently about this space, and I hope it will help our listeners do the same. So appreciate it and look forward to having you back on SG2 Perspectives again soon. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.